Good day, everyone. Welcome to Anthony Zufelt Thought Wars. Today's episode is brought to you by politicaleventsdirectory.com. Go on to politicaleventsdirectory.com. You can list your causes, your candidates, your political events. I know that right now there's a lot of conflict and suspicion going on around social media platforms. Many of them have been censoring or shadow banning much of the content pertaining to the reopen america rallies and so forth with real threats looming of them taking down altogether any group that is associated to the rally reopen america events so you can go to political events directory.com and place those events for free that's right Um, they are giving you the ability to place your events there for free by just simply using the um the coupon code reopen that's re o-p-e-n use coupon code reopen place your event at political events directory.com on those same lines, of course, today's topic is, you guessed it, COVID-19. Here we are getting ready to head into the 1st of May, tomorrow being May 1st. And, you know, many states leading the charge and reopening, which is a great, great thing to see. Been so, so proud of Governor Abbott and um, Lieutenant Governor um, Patrick down in Texas. You know, they've been a couple that have really stepped up to the plate and really kind of really kind of led the way with saying, look, here we are, a state with the population of 30 million, and we've experienced under 700 deaths. And of those 700 deaths, more than 70% had at least one underlining ailment, which has been kind of the case nationwide, hasn't it? Almost you know, a, a vast majority, or at least up, upwards of 65, 70% of all COVID-19 related deaths have been contributed to by at least one underlying health issue, obesity, asthma, heart disease, diabetes, you know, something to the effect. And that's not, that's without even getting into the fact that lots and lots of people are dying with COVID-19, not of it. Meaning a lot of the deaths being recorded, it's been acknowledged that they actually were in, you know, stage three cancer or heart failure or some other thing. And interestingly enough, the hospitals and clinics, they're being encouraged to add COVID-19 to the cause of death. You know, no surprise there. Anytime that you incentivize monetarily a certain action, that's the action you're going to get. And right now, hospitals are being paid anywhere from, you know, 11000 up to 39000 for the treatment of COVID-19 patients. Anyone who deals with medical billing, medical coding can tell you that, you know, the, that the, the reimbursement rate for any given activity that takes place in a hospital is going to inherently impact how things are recorded. You know, everything from what prescriptions you are given to what treatments you're advised. Those of us who have been in medical cells, like myself, we know that one of the primary questions that gets asked as soon as you walk into a lot of clinics is, what is the reimbursement schedule? Because as much as a lot of us don't like to think about it, the medical industry is nonetheless a business as it should be. You know, that's how people are able to you know, go into those professions and reap the rewards of all the years and hard work that it takes to become a doctor or become a, a PA or, or what have you. So, you know, no big, no big surprise there, you, you know, but in this particular instance, it's, it's pretty appalling because these hospitals and clinics, like I said, they're being incentivized to inflate 
the death rate. You know, when they first came to us with this thing, they were saying, you know, we're going to have 2 million Americans die. And then they scaled it back and said, you know, we're going to have 200,000 Americans die. And then, of course, now they're projecting closer to 60,000. And then with it not even looking like they were going to hit that mark, geez, you know, they, they put out and created an environment where it would incentivize people to tag other things as COVID-19 deaths. Now, here's the interesting thing. I find this very interesting um, in, in talking about COVID-19. A lot of people think that if you are skeptical of how the death count is being recorded, which is well-documented and proven, if you're skeptical of, you know, the projections on how many life were going to be lost or, or what have you, or if you, which again, well documented that that, that that has had a huge variance from what they early on projected. If you're skeptical of the trouncing on of your personal liberties within, you know, the rules and regulations set forth by any given state or governor or mayor, then they automatically go to, well, you're a denier. You're, you know, you think that coronavirus is a hoax. I want to be very clear about one thing. You can think that COVID-19 is a real virus while simultaneously acknowledging that it has been A, overhyped and hasn't been the apocalypse that it was represented to be, and B, that it's not worth you know, handing over all of our rights and liberties to a tyrannical government over, you know, you can, you can be of both minds. You don't have to think that coronavirus is an overall hoax as a virus to have a stance like, like I do, or like many of you do, that we shouldn't be surrendering our personal liberties because of it. You know, it's interesting because a lot of the people that advocate for the shutdowns and the lockdowns, you know, they just want to keep telling you the death, but the death, but the death. And, you know, a lot of them fail to recognize that people are always dying. We always have death in this country, and we always have death around the world. On a daily basis worldwide, approximately 150,000 people die. 150,000 people die each and every day, 365 days a year. So for anyone to say, look, you know, um, people are dying, that's, that's not a valid argument. Of course people are dying. They're always dying. Even within the United States, interestingly enough, and this is, this is, I think, a really hot button for a lot of people, even though we've had reportedly, and, you know, again, we talked about how that number has been grossly inflated and, and, and people dying, like I said, with, with COVID, not of COVID and, and so on and so forth. But without even getting into that, you realize that the United States has not had any more deaths these last two months, March and April, than they've had in those same two months for years prior. March actually had fewer deaths than each of the four years prior for the month of March. So, I mean, you're not seeing this avalanche of death. You're not seeing this massive, you know, increase in overall fatality, which I think is very, very telling. You know, that's, if, if you were to have a true pandemic or something that should be classified as a true pandemic and cause this type of emergency response, you would think that it would, one of the prerequisites would be that you're going to have this fatality rate or these deaths that you don't otherwise see. And we just have not seen that anywhere across the United States. So getting back to, you know, Governor Abbott and, you know, Lieutenant Governor Patrick in, in Texas, they were very justified in pushing for their early reopen. And I really applaud them. If, if you're a Texas resident, you know, you should call the governor's office and thank them and send emails. Look, people have got 
to get involved. You just do. You've got to be involved in politics because I can tell you right now, if you, you don't take an interest in your government, doesn't mean that they won't one day take an interest in you. So I strongly, strongly encourage each and every one of you to be very involved in in the um, in the politics and in the reopening and in in engaging and getting out and getting into these events. So yeah, reach out. Thank Governor Abbott. Thank Lieutenant Governor Patrick. All the data supports their decision. All of it. 30 million people approximately in the state of Texas. Uh, only 700 deaths, 70% of which had, you know, an underlying ailment. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with just the fact of, you know, heat, heat and humidity. And a lot of people will criticize you if you say, say that. But look, that's the Department of Homeland Security's study. The Department of Homeland Security, the head of science and technology, um, which is basically the same guys that are responsible for defending you in the event of like a chemical attack or a biological weapon. These, these are the guys, these are the guys. So pretty safe to say they, they know what they're talking about. They came out and they said, look, COVID-19 is only living, you know, a minute, you know, under two minutes, under two minutes in direct sunlight. And a lot of people have, have criticized that comment saying, well, you can't just go in the sunlight and get cured, but they're, they're just being idiots. You know, they're just, of course, you can't cure it if you already have it in the sunlight. The sunlight doesn't reach into your body. But as far as the spread of it goes, that shows and indicates that we shouldn't be shutting down beaches. We shouldn't be shutting down golf courses and all these other draconian measures that have been taken by by so, so many um, governors and mayors. And that's really who you have to put this on, you know, the governors and the mayors. I, I've been a very vocal um, person as far as, you know, I haven't been happy with the way Trump has handled this activity. And, you know, I, I obviously I'm not alone. His approval rating has sunk 10 points over this thing. And, you know, I, I really wish that he would have been and continued to be much more supportive. I was, I was really disappointed when he failed to support Governor Kemp of Georgia. You know, Governor Kemp, here he was, you know, pushing for the reopening, and, you know, Trump went on national television, and it would have been one thing if Trump would have just been like, you know, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I support his decision. He he took it a step further, and I feel like he really stabbed Kemp in the back. And look, I'm someone who, you know, overall, up until this point, has, has been a pretty big Trump supporter, and I would say overall, you could still put me in that column, you know, check me as a, as a Trump, as a Trump supporter, but you got to call it like you see it. And, you know, we can't be so blinded by which party we support that we forget to look at policy. You know, I feel like a lot of times in this country, that's one of the big problems we're having is, you know, you got these people that wear one jersey or the other. And I think we should all look skeptically at politicians and kind of treat it like, look, we have the NFC and the AFC, but they're both going to protect the league. <laughs> you know, I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, though, they have different policies and features. Both of them have a tendency to kind of protect government at large, even under Trump. You know, the, the government has not shrunk. We haven't gotten uninvolved in a lot of our foreign affairs, as I wish that we would have. Um, you know, a, a lot of the things that many of us had hoped for, you know, simply haven't happened under under the Trump administration. And so, you know, I don't feel bad about criticizing this. You know, he, he was the one who came out and made it known that, you know, he was shutting off European travel and he was shutting off um, Asian travel. And, and you know, in, in one of the most bizarre, that's, that's been one of the most bizarre things about this, hasn't it been? I mean, here you have the left 
who overwhelmingly is more supportive of the shutdowns. And, you know, really, this this has been a Trump shutdown, hasn't it? I mean, you know, he was the one who, who started the COVID-19 task force. He was the one who really kicked it into gear. And, you know, you could say he was kind of the initiator of sounding the alarm on this thing. Yet, ironically, the very people who are most supportive of the most draconian measures for the shutdown are, are anti-Trumpers. And then on the flip side of that coin, to be fair, a lot of the people who are Trump supporters across, you know, the conservative states, especially, you know, the 30 or so states from, you know, across the, across the Midwest, you know, anything that's not, you know, a coastal city like the Pacific Northeast, or sorry, the Pacific Northwest or California or the Northeast, you know, when you get outside of those states, those are, those are, it's mostly conservative. And those people tend to be not only Republican, but a little bit libertarian leaning. And, you know, overwhelmingly, they've been anti, you know, especially the draconian measures, the shutting down of the parks, the arresting of people for going to the beaches, just these just absolute horseshit type stuff that's taking place out there. And simultaneously, they're supporting Trump. It's, it's just been the most bizarre thing. The people who, who um, are anti-shutdown are supporting Trump, and the people who are pro-shutdown are speaking out against Trump, when really, it's kind of been, you know, the Trump shutdown. Now, you know, as we sit here today, May 1st, that, that's changing, right? That's changing. But over the last 60 days, and maybe, you know, conservatives were giving him the benefit of the doubt, saying, well, he'll he'll come around, and, and maybe liberals were, <laughs> you know. I, I, I honestly can't, I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, you know, they, they should have been supporting his his measures but that's been one of the one of the many bizarre things about this whole COVID-19 situation is it seems like it's kind of turned people up on their heads where you know they're so they're so loyal to that red or blue that they're they're negating to look at the policy and what someone even stands for um I guess time will tell like I said I've been I've been very disappointed in Trump's inability to really stop straddling the fence on this I would like to see him come out and say look We've got to open. We've got to do it now. You know, instead, he's, he's really, it's almost as though he's trying to save votes that he can't possibly get anyway, right? I mean, New York is a lost cause. Those voters, you're not going to get those, you're not going to get those, those votes. Um, even though you might get a lot of New Yorkers voting for, for you. You know, when it comes to the electoral college, you're not you're not going to pull in those votes. Same with California. I mean, you're just you're just not going to pull in those votes in all likelihood. Although, listen, there's a there's a big there's an underbelly, right? There's there's something going on there in California where we may see some pretty significant changes. That state actually could flip red at some point. But you know, for the meantime, for these November elections, you're not going to see either of those places just magically go blue. So I I don't know what Trump's philosophy is on that. I would love to hear from you guys. I'd love to hear from the listeners. What what do you guys think of, of Trump's, you know, overall strategy when it comes to when it comes to the COVID nineteen? And, you know, do you agree, disagree with his early closures and his travel bans? Do you agree or disagree with with how hard he has or hasn't been on the governors and pushing for the reopen? Uh, I'm really curious and would like to engage in in conversation and with with many of you about that i know that we you know we go back and forth on tiktok <laughs> um but you know that only that only goes so far you know it's, it's limited same with twitter you know anytime you get in those really closed environments you can only convey so many thoughts 
on on those social media platforms which is why we you know i'd love to hear from more of you over here on a on a longer platform or even have you have you on i mean if you're if you're on the tiktok platform or twitter or facebook or instagram um i would love to have you come on to to the podcast here and and share with us your thoughts and even if you're of an opposing viewpoint i wouldn't mind getting you on here and and chatting with you but anywho that's that's kind of you know what's got on everyone's minds around the the country today i'm i'm just really hoping that at this point we move forward everyone i would encourage you to be so aggressively so aggressively pushing for reopening and so aggressively pushing for the rollback of any of these draconian measures if you go to like you know, I hate to reference this, you know, it seems kind of maybe drastic to some, but if you look at like September 11th, 9-11, you know, that was not a security breach. 9-11 was not a security breach. And I'll get to my point about this in just a second as we, as we wrap out, I like to try to keep these things under 20 minutes, but you know, if you look at, if you look at 9-11, that was, that was not a security breach, was it? I mean, the people that got on those planes and hijacked those planes, they got on there with items that were allowed through security at that time. They were allowed through security at that time. Remember, those of us that are old enough to remember, we remember, you know, you used to could take even small knives on the plane. They certainly didn't look for box cutters and fingernail clippers and things of that nature like they do today. So there was no security breach. Um, and, and frankly, the only reason the hijackers... <laughs> You know, the, the, the Middle Eastern terrorists, let's call them what they were. The only reason they were able to really pull that off, even with those weapons, is because people just thought it was a hijacking. And at that time, it, the general consensus was, hey, if your plane gets hijacked, it's typically some sort of a ransom situation or, or something of that effect. No one, God, no one on those planes knew what was coming. In fact, in Pennsylvania the flight that went down over Pennsylvania, you know, those, those passengers somehow caught wind of what was going on and they, they took that plane down. You, you know, if you, if you look back at that, that's the only reason those, those terrorists were able to get away with that. Not because of some failure of the security guards, yet we got the TSA and we still have it to this day. And they've made flying by and large way more miserable and less pleasant than it was up until that point. And really for no reason, you know, Bush came in and gave us the TSA and took over all of that, made it this huge government bureaucracy and for no need. The security personnel is not what had failed us on that day. Those items were allowed on flights at that time. Um, the general public, look, if you wanted to take a plane down today, <laughs> you better be armed to the nuts because Americans aren't going to let you, they're just not going to let it happen. They're just not going to let it happen. You would have to fight tooth and nail to get yourself into the cockpit. And even with that, I mean, but my point is, my point is simply this. We still have the TSA all these years later. And what we've got to really be concerned about with all these measures being taken over COVID-19 is that we do not allow these politicians to establish this as the new norm. We cannot allow this to become the new norm. You know, I don't need to be wearing a face mask or being tracked or, you know, what they're calling tracer tracking, you know, which we'll get to in future episodes. I mean, God, there's always so much to cover, right? Um, Like I said, some of these episodes I like to keep, you know, down under the 20 minute mark, which, which we're coming up on, you know, we'll do, we will do future recordings where, you know, we'll probably extend them all the way out to two hours just so that we can get 
you know, really get in depth on these conversations, you know, but this is just, this is just a format where we can go a little deeper than we can on the social media platforms without, you know, hopefully dragging it out too long. But Hey, listen, thanks everyone for, for tuning in. Thanks for, for following us over on social media. Listen, I have a certain amount of respect for anyone that engages in these types of dialogues. You know, if you're, if you're here and you're listening, it's cause you, cause you, it's cause you give a shit. It's cause you care about what happens in the country. You know, the same reason that I listen to you and come to your podcasts and listen to your social media. You know, I, I engage with people, um, across multiple platforms for that reason, because you can't just take a back seat on this. You really just can't anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's that complacency that has gotten us this far. You know, the radicalism that is, you know, I call it the liberal radicalism, but really on, you know, to a certain extent on both sides, the radicalism has, has propped up because all the logical people have been so silent. So if you're someone who, you know, wants to see the country survive and wants to see it thrive and do well and and be the nation that we can all continue to be so proud of, to be a part of, you've got to get involved, don't you? You've got to be involved. And that involves, it starts here. It starts with the conversations. It starts with being able to listen and take into account the points of view and, and, and really be a seeker of truth. You've got to be willing to sort out the truth. You know, and, that, and by that, you know, it doesn't mean, you know, this, this whole thing of my truth, my truth. Fuck your truth. There's only the truth. There's not your truth. You know, underlying every issue, when you get down to the, down to the core of it, you've got to get to the truth of the matter. And that's, that's what we're going to attempt to do each and every week all throughout, you know, our organization. We're going we're gonna to seek the truth. We're going to try to talk about the truth. We're going to try to expose the lies. We're going to try to expose people for, for what they really are. Because at some point, as I've said in previous videos, at some point, someone doesn't get a pass anymore for just being stupid, right? At some point you have to say, look, this goes, this isn't them being stupid. This is them being sinister or evil. You know, they have an evil intention because if you look at like the COVID-19 situation, as we kind of wrap this up here, there is literally zero logical reasoning behind these closures none whatsoever if you look to sweden that didn't close down and it's not that they haven't had deaths they have but if you look they've averaged about 200 per million which is no different than the states around them or the nations around them rather that did lock down i mean so there's really no variance and you know you're not going to stop a spread of a virus like this one you're not going to stop it you know and all of us are going to die of something but I would remind you to be more cautious of how you live. You know, stand for freedom. Give me liberty or give me death, as they say. Stand for freedom. Stand for truth. Stand, stand with us and let's stand united. Thanks, everybody.